With Dr. Anthony Bean today on the Clinical Consult, our topic is working therapeutically with video gamers and their families. And I'll note that Dr. Bean is a licensed clinical psychologist with a practice in Fort Worth, Texas, specializing in therapeutic implications of video games and gaming, and is also author of Working with Video Gamers and Games in Therapy, A Clinician's Guide, and The Psychology of Zelda, linking our world to the Legends of Zelda series. Dr. Bean, welcome. Thank you for having me, Daniel. Opening up our conversation here, I want to outline a situation that I, I know you're familiar with. Let, let's say two parents come to your office with their 13-year-old son, and based on their demeanors, it's pretty clear that the parents see their son's video game as problematic, but the son does not. So it's, a, it's an admittedly open-ended scenario, but, but walk me through how you start to approach this situation. Oh, absolutely. So the, the first thing every time that we have to do is see how much do uh, parents actually understand about video games? What do they know about the games themselves? Most of the time, unless they have been a gamer from 1980s on, they tend to not know a lot about uh, video games. And so they don't understand what their child's kind of going through. And so we always want to, to make sure, first of all, establish the boundaries, the basis of what do we have to kind of learn about? What do we have to teach? Then we also find out how much is actually being done like video game wise to give an example is the kid playing 13 hours a day or is the kid playing three hours a day what are their grades like what are they with social atmospheres how are they interacting with their friends is there family markers that we have to kind of talk about it's kind of talking a little bit more about the the healthy boundaries with the gaming knowing what's right, what's wrong, what should be appropriate boundaries, what should not be appropriate boundaries, what do we have to kind of do to, to manage this situation. And that's what always happens within the first clinical meeting. Most of the time, I will be more than happy to share that the kid generally grabs on to us as clinicians when we can talk the language of them because they feel like they can connect to us, whether they're talking about an MMORPG or if they're talking about a, a different type of game, a uh, space-faring uh, game, where we understand what the concepts are, the mechanics are, the different type of lingo, and we can connect with the, the client that way. While we generally watch the parent kind of, you know, get that wonderful glazed-eyed look, um, as, as sometimes parents do, because they, they don't understand, they don't know what's kind of going on. But with that, we then bring the parents into the conversation and we, we talk with them in a clinical sense of what does this mean? How, are, how is this affecting all of these other areas? What are the different environments um, occurring? And then we go into a little bit more of the, what we would call the, the family dynamics as well. Anthony, let's return for a moment to the language of gaming. Could you talk a little bit about what that is and how we can familiarize ourselves with the language of gaming? Yeah, absolutely. There are literally thousands of terms that video gamers use. And I'll give you kind of an example of, of what it may sound like to someone who may not know what uh, video gaming actually is. So someone asks, hey, we need a new healer tonight, but your HPS needs to be up there. Do you think you're geared, right? Definitely. I think my HPS should be okay with the DPS from the boss. What dungeon are you running? 
not a dungeon, but a raid. We start at 6 p.m. our time and, and attempt multiple times until 10 p.m. What are your HPS anyways? Oh, I don't know. I'm not ready for that level yet. I just finished heroics and becoming attuned for the raids. My HPS is around 170,000. Hmm, that might be a little low, but your character spec is good for raid healing, so I'm sure we can make it work. This is kind of like one of the, the conversations that we, we have with video gamers, and I'm using acronyms such as HPS and uh, DPS, which HPS is heals per second, is how much is someone healing, versus DPS is damage per second, which is how much are you actually damaging the boss. When, when gamers are, are working in this capacity, they, they use these acronyms to, to shorten and make the, the language much faster because they need to communicate faster and they need to be able to communicate uh, certain aspects within a, a very specific time frame, such as AFK is away from keyboard, aggro, which is like a hostile aggravation. Uh, you may be running a raid or working with someone else and you might just put into the chat box or say aggro. And that means that, oh man, there's something else coming into play here. There's something else that is going on. We need to turn our attention to that as well and take that on in addition to whatever we're doing. These are just kind of the, the basic ideas of what gamer language is. And it's really important to, to kind of know and be able to, to work within this language as well because it's a cultural language. It, it helps uh, make the, the clinician uh, seem more of a, as an authority to the, the gamer, but also makes the gamer feel very comfortable with the clinician to be able to, to feel like they're a part of it, that they know what they're talking about. I'm also honing in on a hallmark struggle that psychologists, I think, oftentimes face in, in many different presentations, and that's helping patients to set and enact healthy boundaries with behaviors that, you know, when they're left unaddressed, they can become unhealthy and problematic. So with that being said, could you share a little bit more about what some of the indicators of, of an unhealthy relationship with video gaming might be? And then if I might just tack on that second question there of sharing a little further more about the language of gaming. Absolutely. And so the, the idea of, of video games, anything in, in over excessiveness can be considered unhealthy on a lot of levels. Now we have adolescents, we have adults as well that uh, play three to four hours of video games uh, a day, still interact with their families, still have their grades up, still are participating in social activities, yet they're playing these games and the parents don't understand. They're like, they should be doing more. And it's, and we always talk about the idea of like, well, you know, when, when parents come home from work, they want to rest because they've put in a lot of mental energy. This is the same way that kids are doing it these days. We would consider that kind of a healthy balance in a sense. They are still doing a lot of other stuff. Now, when kids or adolescents come on in and they are choosing to play video games over doing their schoolwork or over social activities outside, even though gaming can be a social uh, activity as well. And other areas of their environment are really failing in a lot of levels. That's when we have to kind of turn a little bit more eye to what's actually going on here. Why, why are you playing the game instead of doing this work? And nine times out of 10, when, when we start talking about schoolwork, the clients, the kids, adolescents are, are usually talking a little bit more about how they don't understand the work and they don't have that, that initial inertia to, to ask the, the teacher for help because they, they would feel stupid. They don't feel powerful in that capacity. And so the gaming itself is using it as a, as a way for them to make themselves feel a little bit better, but it is a, a little bit of an avoidance of what actually has to happen. That's when we use kind of the, 
metaphorical idea of uh, video games of, well, you kind of get quest givers in video games and you have to ask for help on some kind of, sometimes in teaming up with other people. That's an aspect of what they kind of need in that moment as well. And we kind of draw that, that aspect out of the video game into their lives. And we used the tools, the video games, the narrative um, to really reinforce that and get them to start asking these questions, to start choosing different ways of, of handling these, these difficulties. Now, for a lot of people and a lot of clinicians that we've trained on uh, to work with gamers, we tend to see them fall into the this new ICD-11 gaming disorder issue, which we have the game, the psychologists and other mental health workers that are also gamers have a lot of difficulties with this diagnosis coming out. And the reason is, is because we don't feel like it's, it's set up in really sound science, one. Two, it doesn't really get at the cultural aspect of what it does it mean to actually be a a gamer and what does it mean to to have that aspect of the, within your life and and three the, the diagnosis the way i have it set up right now it's like throwing a lawn dart into a pool and you're going to hit it hmm. it's it's too broad right now we're, we're not necessarily saying that d- this doesn't exist we're just saying that we don't have a good definition of this and we're trying to push something like putting a the cart before the horse without sound science like when we make a diagnosis we have a lot of, of, of good research to back it up. We have defined characteristics. This current three-part characteristics does not, does not feel like it's a, it's a good aspect of, of what we should be really honing in on and what should we actually be talking about when we visit with gamers or we talk with them and about healthy boundaries, their gaming uh, scenarios that they actually play within in the narrative. Because every gamer doesn't play the same games that's that's a number one thing is some of them will like fortnite which is a a interesting one right now or apex which is also like fortnite versus others are going to like world of warcraft or warlords which is a spacefaring game so as you can see we're already talking about four different games two fit into the same category versus the others are in completely different categories and, and the video gamer gets different things based on them now we tend to see video gamers uh, fit into uh, genres of, of video game play based on what they like and a little bit of a based upon their personality as well. When we look at that and we use that to our advantage to really hone in on what do they need in that moment, we tend to be able to, to produce change. And we, we tend to see that gaming is really a little bit more of a secondary condition to a more primary condition, such as anxiety, depression, in some cases, Asperger's or autism. And if we hone in on that primary diagnosis, we actually see a lot lessening of the, the gaming difficulties that come on in. I like what you said about the culture of gaming and recognizing that there are multiple diagnoses kind of that, that may be you know, simultaneously occurring within the patient, the person who's before you, that is always important to consider. It reminds me of your comment a moment ago about considering the full range of a person's psychological functioning. But what, I, what I'd like to do now is, if you'll allow it, Anthony, get rather specific for a moment and just sort of examine some particular approaches where psychologists can work therapeutically with their clients who, who are video gamers. I know you've written a whole book about this, but I'm yeah. hoping you could share with, with me just some tidbits, if you might. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what we were kind of talking a little bit about uh, just a few moments ago was the the idea that every gamer plays a different genre. They play different games. No two games are are alike in identicalness. However, they share similar characteristics. So to say, for instance, someone who's going to play uh, Fortnite, they tend to like the the action games that would fall into the genre of, a, of an action shooter. Um, so very likely they're probably not drawing to an MMO or a massive multiplayer online game when you can be a little bit more social and the pace is not as fast. And so we would then say that that's a massive differentiation because if you're playing for excitement and for fast paced things, we'd also want to look a little bit more about what are you doing in your other areas of life? Are you trying to blow through things such as schoolwork without taking the appropriate time to to manage it? Are you uh, working with that in your relationships? Are you a little bit more explosive interpersonally? We work within that in, in kind of a personality and we can actually start to see the choices that they play in games, whether it's an avatar or it's a, the type of genre that they're playing, actually match their personality pretty well in how they approach life. And that's one of the big key characteristics is that a lot of a lot of gamers don't even realize that they're drawn to, to certain genres and games uh, over others and that they actually have an impact upon their life. So a lot of the other things that we seem to be seeing is time spent playing doesn't always indicate that there is a problem. The, it's, it's really about more about the different environments of what's going on and doing a really good full clinical uh, background history on them and seeing them across a lot of different environments. So, um, some people will play for online benefits uh, because they they like the social aspect versus some people would rather just decompress after a long day. Gaming itself can be a very easy way to de-stress, but it's also important to make sure that we always come back to the real world as well. I've had kids learn money management skills through playing StarCraft um, because of the, the way that the entire system of mechanics of the game work. I've had kids uh, use a Legend of Zelda for um, working with bullying and being able to put up what we call the Hylian shield when someone's feels like uh, feels like someone's attacking them. The the idea of these games is that if you understand the narrative, it's really not a lot different than what we call mythology or reading a book. Um, if anything, video games have become the new mythology in our in our world uh, versus looking at other aspects of of life that kind of seep their way in. In some cases, you know, kids, life, life sucks for kids and at some cases and video games is a safe place for them to feel empowered, feel like they can do something and connect with the character on a lot of different levels. So the, the biggest issue I think that we as clinicians we need to, to do is when we start working with a video gamer, we have to see what are they drawn to? What characters? Why did they choose that character? What about that character grabs them? Are they playing with people? Are they not playing with people? Uh, is there a specific genre or, or a franchise that they're drawn to? Like Borderlands 3 comes out today. I can tell you right now, there's a lot of people that are going to be buying that because they added a multiplayer um, system to it. But if you look at the other three games before it, there's not really a, a good online multiplayer system. These are all aspects of the different games that we need to just be aware of because they can be used within a clinical sphere uh, to, to really embolden and help out our clients on a lot of levels. There, there's a strong educational component here, and I'm just listening to what you're sharing from a very basic place of 
gosh, there are action games or these role-playing games. I know you touched on kind of simulation sport games that are quite popular and having a basic understanding of what those games look like, I think is a really foundational step, step as, as a psychologist to equip yourself with the knowledge and of the kind of the culture of gaming that you're talking about and helping folks to build out kind of the narrative and the mythology, you know, to use it as, as a positive tool. When one piece that I do, that I do want to ask you about now that I've got you on the line has to do with some of the findings about video game usage, specifically with violent video games, and then that's relationship to aggressive behavior. And so that's an important piece that I want to hope get your thoughts on a little bit here. And I, I know the literature on this, perhaps most notably the recent APA task force assessment, does, does document that violent video game exposure has been associated with facets of aggression, like certain behaviors, cognitions, and affect, which... You know, to be clear here means that it's, it's one risk factor of aggression that should be considered alongside other variables, that full range of psychological functioning as you, as you discussed. And I also want to just put that caveat there that aggressive behavior and criminal behavior are not necessarily synonymous. That's a very different statement that would be, need to be made. And Anthony, I, I do hope you'll, you'll kind of expand on what I'm getting at here, but I want to emphasize, as you've mentioned, that there is that importance of examining the full range of a person's functioning. And that includes personal background, context that that person's emerging from. And I don't know that there's a way to do that other than the taking time to thoughtfully assess a particular client's circumstances and their past behavior and statements. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the idea of video games causing violence, I think that that's just uh, what we call kind of like a, a misnomer or a, social construct that just seems to be very pervasive uh, still. And it, before it was video games, it was rock music. Before rock music, it was Dungeons and Dragons. Before Dungeons and Dragons, it was comic books. I mean, it, it you can just see a lot of what these things um, have come from. And every time that they have have uh, come out in what we call this moral panic stage that they get refuted at some point and it gets dropped and then it gets moved on to the next one. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we, if we see it turn to virtual reality um, as that's becoming much more uh, prevalent in uh, using it clinically as well in uh, a therapeutic context uh, outlined with also being able to play with a lot of other people online in a virtual space, which is, probably on the horizon, I'd say in the next five to 10 years. But the, the idea that video games cause violence, I think is, is a really inaccurate description because we don't have any real data that shows that. If anything, um, we have data that shows as more violent video games are being placed out in the world, we actually see a lot of the, the more hardcore crime, the more assault charges and violent crime actually decrease in cities where there's been a lot of sales of video games, of violent video games, which to us says kind of the opposite. Now, the, the piece that you spoke of is the, the aggression piece. Um, and aggression is not synonymous with um, violence on any level. The research that we have seen is that when we look at video, people who play violent video games, they may become a little bit more aggressive for about five minutes afterwards. But how many people within those five minutes are going to go and take um, a violent assault out on someone else? It's very, very rare. And I don't know if we even have any really good case studies of that. And so the, the equation that we look at is aggression does not equate to violence. And violence does not, is not 
created outside of uh, video game play. So I don't necessarily believe that my kids who look very or feel very meekish in a social environment who are playing Call of Duty or playing something else, Fortnite with another person online are going to go out and do any sort of um, assault or violence on another person. Um, a lot of our research just looks at it kind of as proving the opposite point. It's, it's becoming a little bit cathartic, a little bit easier for them to, to manage themselves in, in a lot of ways uh, versus the catharsis through playing the games, being socially interactive with other individuals, and being able to, to manage a lot of other aspects of their life with the games themselves. What I'm hearing from you is that we see the violent video game usage when it's done in, in excess as a, as a risk factor that should always be considered alongside other important variables in a person's functioning. And I think perhaps particularly relevant here is a person's past behavior and statements and, and kind of how some of the video game behavior has affected uh, their behaviors in the past. And so I, I think you really spoke eloquently to that piece. Before we wrap up here, Anthony, I want to just, I, I want to go back to the notion of educating ourselves here on video game usage, video gaming culture. What are some places psychologists can turn to for more information? What, what are good resources? There are quite a few um, that are out there that kind of help educate us on on video games. Uh, for if people want to read the book, my obviously my book, Working with Video Gamers and Games and Therapy, provides a really good cultural overview of it and gives some some stuff for clinicians to, at the end of it to to work clinically with them. However, there's also another uh, nonprofit that's out there that's based in Seattle called Take This, and it's TakeThis.org, and they provide a lot of uh, mental health and gaming. Um, uh, resources for uh, people as well. There's also charities out there such as Child's Play that are super, super beneficial. And we, a few of us that are um, very well versed in what we call geek therapy, such as working with video gamers, anime, Dungeons and Dragons, pretty much anything underneath a geek spectrum. We're actually starting a, an entire training course to provide cultural training for uh, mental health providers as well. And it's just geektherapytraining.org. Anthony, we've spent quite a bit of time in our episode today discussing video game usage as if it's something that's for adolescents and children. Could you share more about who's playing video games? Absolutely. So all age rangers are, are really playing video games. We tend to really focus a little bit more on the children and adolescents of that that's where the problem all lies and only they're playing video games. But in reality, if you're playing a game on your smartphone, whether it's a word town or something else along those lines, Candy Crush, that's technically a video game. Um, everyone is playing video games on, on some level and everyone's getting something out of it, whether it's a decompression, whether it's a, a little bit of time away from work that's just a little heavy on the mind. You need a little bit of relaxation on the cognitive functionings. And so we, the average age or age of a, gamer actually is right around that 34 to 36 age mark. So we're not just talking about adolescents and, and children. We're talking about the entire age range now. And we've actually worked in nursing homes where we've introduced uh, video games into the nursing home. And we've actually saw a cognitive increase for some of the older geriatric patients, which we were very surprised to, to see that. We didn't know if they were going to grab onto it because um, it's a little bit out of their realm, but they seem to very, very much love it. So I think it's important that we, we look at the entire age range as well. 
Anthony, I want to thank you for having a relatively targeted discussion on a topic that I recognize you, you are a holder of vast knowledge on. And I also know that you and your colleagues at the Telos Project in Fort Worth, Texas, also provide psychological services relating to problematic video game usage and a number of the topics we touched on today. So with that focus, I'm, I'm especially appreciative of, of your time. Thank you very much. With that, we'll wrap up this episode of The Clinical Consult, brought to you by the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. I am Daniel Elkert, reminding listeners that this and all episodes are not meant to provide formal clinical or treatment advice and instead provide general information for discussion purposes only.